Hosea. What do y'all know about Hosea? Do y'all know about Hosea? You're waiting on me to tell you, yeah? Okay. Comes after Daniel, that's right. What else? He, he had a prostitute wife named Gomer, that's right. That's what a lot of people know about Hosea. What else? Anybody know anything else about Hosea? Or, or do you recall Hosea for some particular reason? Say he was, uh, yep, he was hanging out there in the northern kingdom, particularly in a very tumultuous time. Uh, I, I believe in the course of 30 years, there was something like six kings uh, at the end of the 7th century, which, or 8th century rather, which is, by the way, the, it's the, the lower 700s. So we're kind of getting closer and closer to 700 BC. That's what it means when we say late 8th century. It can be confusing when we're on the BC side rather than the AD side. So yes, he was up in the northern kingdom, which is where we found ourselves previously. Uh, we've had a lot of these prophets right now because we're going chronologically. God is calling them with a word to Israel uh, in, seek, in, in hopes of seeking to have them repent that these things might not happen. However, uh, these things uh, were to be so. And, uh, and we see Assyria coming uh, and they are getting closer and closer as we enter into Hosea's tenure, they are very close at this point. What else? Oh, he was. He was certainly. That's right. He was certainly to forgive. There, there is much forgiveness in Hosea. Much forgiveness. Much faithfulness as well. Uh, there's a book written about this, right? Uh, a, a, a very popular, like, it's fiction, but it's kind of has, what it, you're shaking your head, Casey. What, do you know what it's called? Rebecca would have known, but she just left. Well, there's, a, there's kind of a more famous book out that a lot of people really like, uh, and it's kind of uh, inspired by Hosea, and so a lot of people know Hosea through this kind of fiction novel, uh, it's like, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of an everyday thing, right? Like a wife or something. I, I can't recall, but maybe y'all can check it out. I mean, it, I, I've heard that it's pretty good. She's look, Casey's looking it up. She can't stand not knowing. So we'll. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So it's kind of. That's right. It's it's kind of yeah more modern, but it and it's kind of run runs through in the style of Hosea and kind of what that is and kind of plays out, seeking to reveal a, a redemptive narrative, uh, even though it's not overtly. Is it redeeming love? It's redeeming love. So if y'all are interested in that, uh, Rebecca at least uh, it, it liked it. Uh, Casey here seems to also. Um, endorse it so uh, some people know the book of Hosea that way how about um, uh, oh death where is thy victory where is thy sting you know that great chapter in first Corinthians 15 oh he was quoting Hosea uh, y'all know about Romans 9 right every Baptist loves to dislike Romans not now those of you who come from Baptist backgrounds I'm not talking about those who are holding fast to all of Scripture there are those who don't like the sovereignty of God, who don't like the fact that there might be this thing called predestination. And so they ignore a certain chapter of Scripture, Romans 9, 
Uh, it comes right after Romans 8, which everyone loves, but uh, we better skip 9, 10, and 11. Well, in Romans 9, we see quotations from Hosea. Uh, Jesus Christ himself, uh, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. If y'all would just have known what that meant, instead of tithing mint, dill, and cumin, perhaps you would have been able to follow the Lord. That comes from Hosea as well. Uh, we're in Christmas season, right? Out of Egypt I called my son. This was written that it might be fulfilled because Jesus himself, instead of getting killed as a young baby, right? Because Herod's going through and killing all those children. Where's Jesus? He's not there. He's in Egypt. And then where does he do? He comes back up. That was written. This Hosea was written that it might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. Even in the Christmas narrative we see Hosea. It's very intriguing. First Peter, by the way, uh, once you were not my people, right? But now you are. Once you had no mercy, but now you do have mercy. Hosea. The book of Hosea finds itself planted firmly uh, in a land where most of us don't know anything about it, except we know everything about it because in the New Testament, over and over and over, we're reading it without even knowing. Uh, we actually know more about Hosea than we think we do. Hosea is a book filled with what you were saying, forgiveness, Lissa. And it's a book filled with faithfulness. It is an incredible book of the Bible. And one that I hope as we march through this pretty quickly, uh, you'll be able to go to again and again to see God's faithfulness to his people. It's wonderful. And that's the theme, by the way. God is faithful to his people. Let's pray. I have one more question and then we'll go through some stuff. Let's pray first though. Heavenly Father, Lord, bless our time in your word. May we see that redemptive narrative of forgiveness and of faithfulness, not on our behalf, or not on uh, our part, but on your part, Father, and indeed for our behalf. And so God, bless us as we look to see the salvation that comes only from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, uh, here's another question. What does faithfulness look like? What's faithfulness? What do y'all think? What's it look like? However you want us to do it, Sam. Physically, spiritually, emotionally. Loyalty. What do you mean by loyalty, though? <laughs> faithfulness. Okay. A circular argument, but a good one. Act of being faithful. Right. That's a, yeah, that's a good way. To look it up online, you say, well, that didn't help me. <laughs> what is it? Have you ever tried to describe it? It is kind of being loyal even when there doesn't seem to be a good reason to be. Yeah. D being loyal when there doesn't seem to be a good reason to be. Okay. Dependable. Dependable. Always. Always dependable. Okay. Being true to the Lord. So faithfulness, we're putting it now within a Christian context, right? So uh, uh, you're talking about uh, humanity to God or, you know, maybe the Christian to God. Faithful to the Lord. Um, true to the Lord. Being true to himself. True to himself. Speaking of the Lord himself. Being true to himself. Yeah. Oh, certainly. It's pretty good. Regardless of the circumstances. Regardless of the circumstances, that's an excellent point. 
This is the reality that's playing out in Hosea. But uh, it's not, it's not uh, the Christian. It's not God's people to God. It's God to the people. Uh, and it's a big deal. And it spawns what you were talking about, Lissa, the people to God. Uh, but we see this first, this reality of, of God's faithfulness to the people. And, and it's that first point. Remember, I'm, uh, we added in the remember header up there for us as we're looking through these things. Th- these two points are going to get us to, a, uh, I hope, a better understanding of Hosea, where if we remind ourselves of these two things that I've written in this header, as we read through the book of Hosea, it will, uh, it will give us a clear path. It will give us a focus in, a focal point. And so that's that first one. God's faithfulness is not contingent on his people's faithfulness. Let me say it again. God's faithfulness is not contingent on his people's faithfulness. That means no matter what the people are doing, God's faithfulness doesn't change or sway or wax or wane. God is faithful to his people always. And that's what we see. And that's what we see in these two big sections of Hosea. There's two big sections. The the first one is, is much more known than the second one. Chapters one through three, Gomer the prostitute, and God's call to Hosea to marry this adulteress for a particular reason, to bear children with this prostitute for a particular reason, to name these children particular things. No mercy, not my people. Uh, There's very significant illustrations being played out in these first three chapters, and almost everyone, even if they can't remember, oh, you know, that's Hosea. Once I say he married a prostitute, they think, yeah, I remember that. Because it's so shocking and it's so jarring and it's meant to be shocking and jarring. There's another section, though, chapters kind of three-ish, four-ish through 14. Uh, four through 14, it's really the majority of the book. And it's, it's uh, uh, what, what happens in chapters one through three, which is uh, Hosea marrying um, this prostitute Gomer, and we'll go over that in a moment. We'll see some of those key points. It, it actually is an illustration for 4 through 14. Uh, what happens there helps us to understand what God is saying to his people in chapters 4 through 14. And so if we get one, we get the other. And so we'll kind of hit that uh, first section, chapters 1 through 3, and then we'll, uh, we'll kind of zoom in on a couple pieces of chapters 4 through 14. The two big sections. Let's remember that first point, though. God's faithfulness is not contingent on his people's faithfulness. Chapter 1, uh, verses 2 and 3. Yeah. No, we're talking about God's people. Those whom God has chosen as his people. That's right. God's people. We'll see that. Because, Because God's coming to Israel. Israel, of course, has abandoned God. And we'll see that in Hosea. We've seen that in Isaiah. We've seen that uh, almost in every prophet book that we'll go through and that we've gone through. Uh, Israel, the northern kingdom is what I'm talking about because at this point there was a division. Remember, Judah in the south, Israel in the north. This is always good to kind of get straight in our heads. Israel in the north abandoned the right way of worship. That was the first problem that they came across, all right? It wasn't necessarily the division 
Honestly, the southern kingdom's king at the time was just as at fault as the northern kingdom's king. Uh, there, there was serious sin on both sides, but one of the biggest and most heinous and most blasphemous things that played out was that they changed the way that God had ordained worship. They changed it. Instead of worshiping in Jerusalem at the temple, they made more temples. Instead of worshiping the one true God, they made a golden calf, not just one, two. Can you believe it? They began to worship in the high places. All of these things began to play out. Uh, and in Hosea, it's gotten very, very bad, by the way. Uh, Baal comes up quite a bit in Hosea. We won't kind of get into the nitty-gritty of Baal. Baal's the fertility god. Oftentimes, the sins associated with this fertility god were sexual in nature. And not, uh, uh, not the, uh, the simple kind of, oh, they're in some sexual uh, sin right now. Uh, we're talking heinous, some pretty severe, some pretty sickening things. Um, but these things were playing out. These people were uh, seeking to worship God in quotes as they were just uh, uh, severely hacking and slashing what God intended for worship and what, and what God wants from worship. And we'll see that as well uh, in the second part, 4 through 14. But uh, we're talking about God's people. We're talking about those people uh, who are his, uh, who he will not let go. And we'll see that too, and we'll see what he's doing. Yeah. They're still his people, is that correct? Are you saying that they're no longer his people because they're doing all these things? That's right. Uh, so Sam's asking... Uh, who are God's people and when? We're looking at Israel and we have Judah. Uh, who are God's people and when? There's always a remnant. We see that. There's always a remnant. Uh, and so uh, to be in Israel is not necessarily to indicate that you are of God's people. Uh, you are in the covenant community and the responsibility and the, um, and the condemnation is higher if you don't believe, but it doesn't mean that you will believe. Uh, think about it like this. We baptize children here at Centennial. It's because we believe in the covenant of God. We believe that God has blessed a people. Israel, if you will. We, we are Israel. Uh, if we, we use that because Paul uses that. Uh, and, so, and so that, but what does that mean when I baptize my son? Does it mean that he believes then and there? Isaac? By no means. He's a little baby. But we walk in faithfulness as we see what God is doing for his people. And as we remain faithful, as we continue in what God has called us to, the Holy Spirit then reveals in, in that reality, in that community, in that covenant community, the Holy Spirit then reveals to his people what is needed for salvation, namely Jesus Christ crucified. Question. Yeah. They're bad. They're bad guys. Who? Still Who's bad? The, the people in Israel that are Jews. Well, not all of them. Yeah, but, but I'm asking. All, I've always thought the Jews, whether they were right. good guys or bad guys, they were still God's people. Right. But you're saying that's not the case. They, they are God's people in the, um, in the fact that we are Americans, right? Everybody that stands on U.S. soil is American, right? Yeah, but I'm talking. Yeah. It's, oh, though, uh, uh, as a nation, certainly. Uh, but, but we're talking about something different here. Uh, we're talking about that redemptive community, that covenant community that has stayed faithful through, through the whole time, the remnant community. That has been God's, God has mentioned that from the very beginning. Uh, uh, we see that with, is this 
bump them or something? Do y'all hear like something? No, they're upstairs. Oh, they're like dancing upstairs or something. Um, <laughs> I like practicing. Not Well, maybe they are dancing. Um, but this reality plays itself out with like, say, Jacob and Esau, both Jews. But Jacob have I loved. Esau have I hated. That's what God himself says. They're both Jews. You know, I mean, the, the Edomites, I mean, they're, they're, you know, all these people who are coming out of this community, uh, I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, Ishmael, Jew, but Ishmael's not uh, the promise, uh, the promised line. Who is it? It's Isaac, his younger brother. And so both, both are Jews, both are part of the nation, but one is clearly uh, uh, delineated. One is clearly uh, uh, in a separate category of God's people, uh, that redeemed covenant Community. Maybe call them Arabs today. Maybe. Uh, there might be some who are in that, certainly. But uh, so anyways, and that and that plays itself out. This, this is a recurring theme. That's why it's good to talk about it now. Uh, this, this reality of the remnant of the covenant community, it was a hot button issue all the way through to Jesus' time. Uh, this isn't this doesn't just go away. And so it's very good for us to talk about it because it starts now. It starts in this uh, in this moment when Assyria is bearing down, in this moment of exile, in this moment of destruction, in this moment of judgment, and it doesn't stop this conversation. Where is God? Are we his people or not? Why is he not blessing us? What are we doing? This question plays all the way through, all the way through really to the destruction of the temple. Uh, and even then it continues on, but that's the story transitions for Christians and we don't get it anymore in the New Testament, uh, but it, it keeps going. So that's why it's good for us to kind of begin to work this out in our own minds. It's interesting that you bring that up, by the way. Uh, Romans 9 that I was mentioning, you know, Romans 9, 10, and 11 are speaking of this very thing. Who's God's people? Has he abandoned Israel? By no means. But what we thought was Israel was actually not the case. God was revealing this from the very beginning, but we were assuming, and we were assuming wrongly. Uh, uh, there is a, a very clear reality of who God's people are, and they are those who are faithful to him. Uh, that's that's a, a mark uh, of those that are his. And we'll see that here. That's right. He is not going to turn his back on me. That's right. I might turn my back on him. I pray I never will. But he's not going to turn his back on me because I am his. It's my decision whether I turn my back on him or not, whether I'm faithful to him or not. And it helps me to think about it that way. I don't know if that helps you or not. It, he's not God's not going to abandon me. It, it's, certainly, it's certainly not a one-liner in a Bible study setting that can clear all of the air on this one. There, there's much to what you're asking. And, and actually, there's actually much ink spilled by the Holy Spirit for that very purpose within, within the scriptures uh, as we work through what this means for us as God's people. You know, if we're God's people now, the inclusion of the Gentiles was so huge, uh, especially to the Pharisees, because the Pharisees were saying what you were saying. We are God's people, nobody else. We are the Jews. Jesus was having none of that. That's not the case. It's those who listen and respond to the good news of Jesus Christ, those who are God's people uh, right there. That's much different uh, conception, but that is what is biblical, and that is what we see uh, as we move forward. I don't know if that helps or hurts. That's right. It's not a different time period. 
That's right. That, the, it's, it's not a time period thing. Uh, we, we see a particular nation that God has chosen to bless. He calls that nation Israel. Uh, but uh, but that, that reality that plays out is revealing his blessing and revealing the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is a spiritual Israel, spiritual people of God that then moves forward uh, this, that whole time, starting with Adam, actually. That's right. We were included then, too, though. But uh, I don't know if they're still God's people or not. Who? Because they didn't accept Christ. Oh, right. No, they're not. Uh, God's people are those who hear the gospel and respond. Uh, that's what we're getting at. Uh, yeah, uh, just, just to, claim, to claim to be God's people uh, from nationality uh, is antithetical to the gospel. Uh, is, is what is happening. Did the gospel come to the Jew first? Certainly, because God chose to bless the Jews first. And so in that sense, you could say they are God's people, but we mustn't uh, confuse that with the reality and the spirituality playing out of, of who God has chosen redemptively, salvifically uh, throughout the ages. Maybe that helps, maybe that hurts. I don't know. Yeah. So... We're looking at this big section, and we'll see these things. It's nice to talk about it because we'll actually see this uh, in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Uh, we see here, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take yourself a wife of whoredom, and have a children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Here's the point. Hosea is called to start with a sinner for a reason. He's called to start with someone unfaithful for a reason. It's part of the illustration. We as God's people are at the very core of our existence post-fall unfaithful. We are simply unfaithful people. And that is who God is dealing with. And so we see a very visceral a very tangible illustration of that. Go, marry a prostitute. She's immediately unfaithful. That's who she is. She's a prostitute. She's still doing her job, as it were. You see it in the text. But the illustration continues. We'll go to chapter 2, verse 14. Now, notice here, uh, I, we were talking about God's faithfulness. We were talking about uh, God is the one who is enacting this salvation God's faithfulness is not contingent on his people's faithfulness, is uh, that remember point. Listen to the I wills, all right? Listen to the I wills of chapter 214 uh, and on. Therefore, behold, this is God, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me, hus uh, call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal, for I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, and the creeping things of the ground. 
and I will abolish the bow, the sword, and the war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety, and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day, I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth, and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel, and I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy, and I will say to not my people, you are my people, and he shall say, you are my God. And then this is chapter three. This is a closing of the illustration. And the Lord said to me, that is Hosea, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. God is saying, go back and get Gomer. She's gone from him. She abandoned him. She had the babies, and then she left to go be a prostitute again. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins, so, this is, Gomer, uh, this is Hosea talking about Gomer, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a uh, lethech of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without a king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. This is Israel we're talking about, remember. Israel, the ones who abandoned David their king, who went after another king. They shall go after David their king and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. The I wills, you have to hear it, right? It's incredible. There are so many I wills. There's something like uh, God speaking in the, in the first in the I, like over a hundred times in the book of Isaiah. But here, particularly, God saying, I will, so many times, I will do this. I will get my people. I will keep my people. I will bless my people. I'll bless my unfaithful people, those who have turned away from me, because they are mine. I will. I will. It's incredible. And we see that. But there's something else as well. We need to also remember at the same time, and Sam, this kind of gets at what you were talking about, even as God's faithfulness is not contingent on his people's faithfulness, even so, those following God, those who are God's people, will abide in his will. This is the mystery of the gospel, and we'll talk about it just briefly, uh, but let's first look at what God is doing here. God brings an indictment. Uh, it's like a legal case, and he does it over and over in Hosea. Uh, he does it elsewhere through the prophets, and he does it here too. Uh, and and it's, it, it looks like judgment, because it is judgment, because of what the people are doing. Uh, they've gone against God. They've gone against his will, and judgment is coming because of it. Here's a good example of the unrepentant nature of Israel and really of Judah. Uh, and we see this in chapter 6. Flip there with me real quick. In chapter 6. Jeremiah, before yeah. you leave, in verse 5 when it talks about in the last days, mm -hmm. it talks about the last days of the judgment of when the temple and everything else is destroyed. That's right. That's the last um, probably, probably like all-inclusive. The, the thing with the Lord is that uh, time can get a little skewed when we are trying to kind of enter into eternity. And so when is he talking about and why? I think he's probably talking about all the above. Uh, you, you see 
in the prophets talking about the last days, it's almost always talking about the very last one. But then usually when you're looking at the last days, he's also talking about some finite piece where you look and you say, oh yeah, he's clearly talking about the destruction of Israel. That judgment is coming on Israel particularly. But there's something much larger at stake and something much larger at play. And we see that as things are zoomed out, uh, especially at the end. The final verse of chapter 14 actually kind of reveals that this is... This is beyond Israel at this point. Uh, God is revealing something to his people through the ages. And so, yeah, both and. Chapter 6. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He struck us down. He will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he'll raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers and as the spring rains the water uh, that water the earth. This is the people speaking to God. What is God saying? What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? By the way, Ephraim is a, a some, Hosea uses that as another name for Israel, uh, Ephraim being some of the northern kingdom. Uh, what shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. There it is. Jesus hooks onto this in the New Testament. We've seen it hooked onto previously by the prophet Samuel when he confronted the first king, Saul, who was entering into a prideful sin. But here's verse seven, like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There it is all the way back to Adam. There they dealt faithlessly uh, with me. Gilead is a city of evildoers, tracked with blood. As robbers lie in wait for a man, so the priests band together. They murder on the way to Shechem. They commit villainy. In the house of Israel, I have seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's whoredom is there. Israel is defiled. For you also, O Judah, a harvest is appointed. There it is, Sam. Uh, We're talking about Israel being judged, right? Then boom, Judah gets slapped in the face as well because they too are revealing their own unfaithfulness to what God has commanded. Uh, God's faithfulness is not contingent on his people's faithfulness, but those following God will abide in his will. And they do that because they realize who God is and what he is doing on this earth and what we are going to be doing, which is worshiping that one true God. He's allowing us that opportunity. Chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, just to put the judgment into perspective. Because this is judgment. Uh, These minor prophets are filled with judgment. We've addressed this and we will again. 14 verses 1 through 3. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses and we will not say no, or, and we will say no more our God to the work of our hands in you. The orphan finds mercy. There's a plea here. Hosea, uh, 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 God is speaking through Hosea, and and there's a plea. Listen to what I'm saying. Judgment is coming upon you. Listen and remember. Remember Amos? Amos said the same thing. Remember, Israel. Remember. Remember. Hosea is entering into this plea as well. Even as judgment is coming, God is calling forth. And then 
even as we are kind of witnessing, what's, it, uh, what's that saying? You know, when you learn by negative, right? You're like, I'll never do that. Uh, I'll never kind of do like that person's doing. I learned from his mistakes. That's what's happening here. We see this judgment playing out before us. What's happening is, is a negative example, right? Uh, we shouldn't be like these Israelites who are going after the work of their own hands, who are going after the gods of Baal, uh, these fertility gods who are going off to sin and, uh, uh, and laziness and, and all of these things that are kind of playing out within this prosperous Israel that is slowly just collapsing in on itself. You look at Israel and you say, we shouldn't do that. If you're one of God's people. If not, actually Israel's lifestyle looks exactly like today. And it looks great. Unless you're one of God's people. And you see his will. And you see that we're called out of that. Out of those heinous sins. Those following God will abide in his will. They will hear that plea, right? Listen. Remember. And then there's a reminder to remember the first point again. Because it doesn't, all, it doesn't stop in, in our action. It never stops with us doing something. It's never our action that gets us there. And so we are reminded at the very end of that first remember point. God's faithfulness is not contingent on his people's faithfulness. Look at verse 4 of chapter 14. This is God speaking. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. But transgressors stumble in them. God's faithfulness is not contingent on his people's faithfulness. Uh, this is, this, the book of Hosea is uh, the prodigal son, you all know about the prodigal son, right? And Ephesians 5, smacked into one another. You know, Ephesians 5, wives submit to your husband as unto the Lord. Husbands sacrifice for your wives as Christ sacrifices for the church. You know, it uh, happens at weddings a lot, right? Maybe we read Ephesians 5 or maybe you look at that. Sometimes submit really can upset us. It makes us feel like that's antiquated and not how it should be. This is the prodigal son and Ephesians 5 smacked into one another, okay? We are the bride of Christ. The church is, all right? Christ himself is revealing himself here by the Holy Spirit. God is speaking through Hosea as husband. That's the illustration. God is husband here. God's not father. God's not son. God is husband here, all right? Uh, and he is husband to an unfaithful bride, <laughs> What is Ephesians 5? Ephesians 5 says, submit to your husband as unto the Lord. But the next part, husbands, just like Jesus Christ, sacrifice everything for the bride. What does Jesus Christ do for the church? Well, even when we didn't love him, 
Christ died for us, right? Uh, we see this here. It plays out with uh, Hosea and Gomer. It plays out with God and Israel. Israel's wiped off the face of the earth, but not the people, the nation. Israel's gone, but not Israel, the people. They are still here. And they're not, not my people. They're my people. That's what God says. And more than that, God says, and they will respond, you are my God. And it's because God's faithfulness uh, is not contingent on his people's faithfulness. It's because God simply is faithful to us. Why? I have no idea other than the fact that God loves us. And we see it playing out here in Hosea beautifully. Uh, Ephesians 5, you sacrifice everything for your wife. That's why we want to obey, by the way. Why are we supposed to obey? I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I desire knowledge of myself rather than vain, uh, uh, vain worship. Why? Why do we obey? Why do we come to church? Why do we seek to read God's word? Why do we pray? Why does it matter? It's because we desire to submit to someone who died and who gave everything for us. Our, our actions now, you could come to Wednesday night until the day you die. And you're not going to get any merit. We don't get merit. We don't need merit. It's because God died for us that we go to heaven. Whoa! It changes everything. Our desire as God's people is to serve him and to abide in his will. It's our desire. It's what God has done for us that wells within us. And we say, man, I just want to live for the Lord. I'm still struggling, and I'm still certainly unfaithful. I might not be turning my back on them, but man, we find ourselves in faithlessness all the time, right? But God's faithfulness is not contingent on our faithfulness. And so we grow in hope. We grow in assurance as we confess Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He gives everything for us. We were the prodigal son, but it didn't matter the father was still waiting to run. We're the prodigal son, the bride who is the prostitute. And Jesus still died and sacrificed everything for us. For that, we willingly submit because we really want to. That's Hosea, and it's really good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for such a poignant illustration of your faithfulness, even in the face of our unfaithfulness. Father, we are Israel. And yet, Lord, you love us. We hear you by your Holy Spirit. You take our hearts of stone and make them hearts of flesh. And Father, we repent. We look to see how we can serve you, not to save ourselves, but because we desire to submit ourselves to a God who gave his own son, to a God who gave everything. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.